American United has a convenient branch right at the VA Medical Center, along with eight other locations across Utah. As a member, our veterans get the best rates on loans and savings products. Learn more at amucu.org. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. We're back with part two with Josh Steinley. It just it makes you stubborn. It makes you just realize that, hey, you know, if it, it's that cliche thing. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that's all skateboarding. And I don't know, it's worked for me in entrepreneurship too. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. I'm really stoked about this episode because... For a guy I had no connections to, we, we looked on LinkedIn, we actually don't even have any friends in common. We have so many interests in common, skateboarding, art, digital marketing. Um, but Josh, when we were leaving off on our last episode, we were talking about people who want to get a book deal, people who want to get into magazines like Forbes. Um, and I, you know, I think it was midnight, I was searching Google and I came across your stuff, which showed up all over the place. And it's actually the reason that I reached out to you is I felt like it was it wasn't fluff. Everybody can do it. It's so easy. Just follow my 12 easy steps. But it wasn't discouraging either. It was just like very logical. Here are the kind of things that are going to increase the probability. Do this. Don't do that. Um, do you want to talk a bit about even just an overview? I mean, I think people should be going to joshsteinley.com and signing up for your your email course like I did. But can you give people just a bit of a, a preface of the kind of stuff they'll learn? Sure. And Maybe let me tell my story real quick about yeah, how yeah. I got set up writing for Forbes, because I think that gives some interesting background that's educational for people. So I've run my business since 1999. I've been running this digital marketing agency, and we never did over 500000 in a year in top line revenue. And the business just really struggled all these years. And my biggest problem was I didn't know how to land more clients. I could go out and I could do my own marketing. We'd bring in clients, but then we'd lose a few clients. And we just couldn't grow past this half million revenue mark. And in 2012, the end of 2012, I was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to get more clients in faster and grow this business? I've been running this for years. I'm tired of it being this small business. And I want to turn this into something big or I want to do something else. And I went to my friend, Cheryl Snap. She's a PR guru there in Utah. 
And I sat down with her and I said, Cheryl, I want to get these badges on my website. I want people to come to my website and see that we're a player and see that we've been featured in these magazines. So how do I get that PR? How do I get those logos of these big publications on my website? And then when I was looking at Cheryl's profile before I came to this meeting, I had also noticed that she was writing for Forbes magazine. And so I also brought that up just as kind of an aside to say, oh, by the way, how'd you get this gig writing for Forbes? That's pretty cool. Like, how do you do that? And so in answering that question about Forbes, she said, oh, yeah, they've got this contributor model where they have paid staff writers. They've got a few hundred of those. They work for the magazine. That's their full time job. They're professional journalists. And then they have 1,500 or so of these contributors who are professionals. They're experts in their field. And these people do not get paid to write for Forbes. They get to write for Forbes and they write for free because it's exposure for them. And she said, hey, and my editor's coming to town in two weeks. Do you want an introduction? And the first thought that entered my head was, oh, I'm so busy. I'm running this business. I'm trying to grow it. I mean, I don't have time to take on something like writing for a magazine. But thankfully, I didn't respond to that feeling. Instead, I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to write for Forbes. I don't even know what would happen from it, but that would just be a great opportunity. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to meet your editor. So two weeks later, I went to this event and met her editor. And she had already introduced me unbeknownst to myself. And he had read my blog, which my blog has never done anything for me other than given me an outlet to vent and <laughs> give me a place to write and experiment. So I, I'm writing on my blog for 10 years. I'm getting no results from it, but I'm still having fun because I enjoy writing. But then I go to this meeting and the editor says, hey, I checked out your blog. I love what you're writing. We want you to write the exact same stuff, except now it's going to be on Forbes.com. And I, he was already, he just said, you're already writing for us. Like, this is a done deal. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. My blog is finally paying off after 10 years. And so I started writing for Forbes and at first, it was just this great experience where I thought, oh, this is fun, and people care what I say now, and now I get, I just moved to Hong Kong, so I'm writing for Forbes, and now all of a sudden, I'm getting invited to all the parties and the launch events, and I feel like I'm popular for the first time in my life, and <laughs> so I'm having fun with this, but I was purposely not writing about digital marketing or anything I did for a living because I didn't want to be seen as promoting my business in any way. And after a few months of that, I, I looked around and I saw that there were all these other guys writing about SEO and digital marketing, and that's all they wrote about. And that's what they did as a business. And I thought, well, hey, if they can write about it, why can't I write about it? So I started putting out some articles about SEO just to test it out and see what would happen. And I started getting a flood of leads coming in for my business and I just hired a partner, Corey Blake, who was a great sales guy. And so all these leads are coming in from Forbes. I've got this great sales guy who's just closing these deals left and right. And we just shot past that half million revenue mark and went past a million and just kept on going. And it just exploded our business. And we just started growing like crazy. And then that Forbes writing led to everything else great that has happened over the past few years with my business. It opened doors for me to write for Mashable, TechCrunch, Entrepreneur, all these other publications. It led to my book deal. It's, it's just been an amazing experience to have that opportunity to write for Forbes. And so now that's what I'm trying to help other people do is now when I find somebody else and they say, hey, I've got this business, but it's kind of struggling and I'm not sure what to do. I think, 
well, you need to become an influencer. You need to do what I did. You need to write for these publications or get your writing out there and you need to produce content and grow your business by becoming a thought leader. And that's what I'm helping people to do now is to just follow in my footsteps and do the same stuff because I've already done it and I've made all the mistakes. And so it's easy for me to pass that information on to other people and say, hey, here's what I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. And here's how I grew my business doing this. You know, uh, it's it's funny. I don't know if you feel this way. Like, you know, we've had moderate success compared to you, but, you know, making it onto the front page of iTunes got us a ton of listeners for the show now. And, we, you know, we're, we're getting these thousands of downloads. Uh, and so I have started to get a bunch of people reaching out saying, hey, Jess, how do I do a podcast? You know, and it's funny because it's like it's somewhat of an interruption from like stuff I'm trying to get done. But it's also like a quality of life thing to help somebody who's trying to get something done. Cause I like, it was such a struggle and we kept buying the wrong mics and, you know, just like today you and I couldn't get Skype to work. So we switched to Google, you know, like anyways, I made all these mistakes. So it's actually like kind of fun to help my friends and these, these people, like, do you find that there's almost like, I think you kind of alluded to it on, on our previous episode that it's like, it's like personal enjoyment for you too, to help people. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely do this for free if I could. I mean, if I could just spend time all day and I didn't have anything else to do and people just wanted to come and ask questions, I would totally do this for free, even if I knew that there would be no benefit to myself other than satisfaction of seeing other people succeed. And the fact that people are coming and offering me money to to give them advice on this is great. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I look at that and I think, all right, business opportunity, let's start something here. But really for me, starting a business around this and generating revenue from it is, for me, it's, I want to share this information with other people. I want to help other people do this, but I can't do that unless I can justify the time and spend the time. And the only way I can do that is if there's an income coming from it. Mm -hmm. And really, the bigger part of it is that it's not my time. It's I have to build a team to deliver this information. And so how do I pay this team? Well, the only way I can do that is if I charge for it. So I'm setting up this business to provide courses and information and everything. And sometimes I feel guilty charging money for it because I feel like, oh, I should just be helping people and be friendly, but I just don't have the time to do it. And I can't set up a team unless there's a revenue source. And so that's where the business comes from is to be able to do that. But but yeah, I just love sharing the information with people and to share information with somebody and say, oh, hey, here are some tips on how to get writing from Forbes. And then to see somebody go apply it and it works and they do it and they get into these publications and they come back and they say, hey, I did what you said and it worked. I'm like, oh, oh that's cool. And I'm surprised for some reason. I don't know why I'm surprised. I mean, this is what I did. This is what I've seen other people do, but... I'm just always surprised when somebody applies my knowledge and then it works. And I'm like, Oh wow, it's actually works. This is great. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I, uh, we had a previous episode with a fellow skater, uh, Zach Olson from Bookley, Um, and, uh, he and I were talking about something. I'd be interested to see if, if you think that we're just inventing stuff or if you agree with this, but we were talking about how we feel like growing up as skateboarders and in the action sports side of thing, it kind of conditioned us to deal with entrepreneurship and the constant failure. Like, I don't know about you, but like learning to do, <laughs> learning to do skateboard tricks was mostly me not landing skateboard tricks. And uh, yet there's like such a, 
such a like a joy of achievement or like you know when you land your first backflip on a snowboard it's like you know it's like you feel like you won the gold medal in the olympics or something even though it's mostly landing on your head landing on your head landing on your head uh do you do you feel like there's any um maybe life lessons or things about tenacity that you you learned growing up in southern california skateboarding yeah definitely i mean it's like you say, how many times do you try a trick to land that trick one time? I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, for the non-skaters out there, one of the hardest tricks out there is called a hard flip, which it's aptly named because it's hard, although now all the kids can do it. But for me, as an old guy, that's still a really, really hard trick. And I probably tried, you know, thousands of times to do a switch hard flip. And then one time, one time, Somehow my feet were just positioned right and everything came together. And I did one that was perfect. That's mm-hmm. the only time I've ever landed that trick. And there's no way I can ever do it again. But that one time I did it perfect. And thank goodness I had a friend there who actually saw it so that I have proof that I did it. <laughs> but it's like, I tried a thousand times to do that. It landed. I landed it once. And to this day, that was like 10 years ago. I still look back and I'm like, yeah, I did that once. And I get this feeling of satisfaction knowing that I did that trick once. And that's kind of how entrepreneurship is sometimes. You try something so many times and it doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And then finally it works and you're like, all right, it worked. I got it once. I got this thing to work once. Or really with entrepreneurship, the great thing is that it's easier than skateboarding. You can Usually you're figuring out some sort of process or a system and you try it a thousand times. But then once it works you know how to duplicate it again. Skateboarding <laughs> yeah. is harder. Yeah. But you you figure out a system and then you're like, all right, I got the formula. I mean, like with my with my agency, like I said, I was trying for over a decade to figure out how do I grow this business? And I was just trying over and over and over again. And maybe skateboarding made me too stubborn and maybe I shouldn't have tried for so long to make it work. But I just kept trying over and over and over again. I kept hiring salespeople and trying out new marketing things and all these different tactics. And it just wouldn't work, wouldn't work. But I always knew if I hired the right guy, I knew if I hired the right sales guy, he could go out and he could close deals. And so I kept on trying. And finally, I found that right guy, Corey Blake, and he went out and he's just been killing it. And I said, all right, see, I knew it would work. It just took me 12 years to find the right guy to make it work. But it worked. And yeah, in that way, I think there is some similarity with skateboarding that it just it makes you stubborn. It makes you just realize that, hey, you know, if it it's that cliche thing. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that's all skateboarding. And I don't know, it's worked for me in entrepreneurship too. You know, it's funny. I feel like my my version of the hard flip, I remember being a twenty year old kid living in the valley in San Fernando Valley, and I like I I made my first slam dunk playing basketball and like I haven't dunked since then but it was like my single time of like a super legit dunk you know and uh it's like the glory days but it's funny you say that it's like a bucket list you're just check, yeah. you check it off and you're like all right I got that one done yeah but it's funny that you talk about the hard flip because for me you know so when we were talking before the show started we were talking about skating mini ramps and like you know now that I'm an old man old 36 year old you know, street skating uh, <laughs> leaves bigger bruises than it used to, it feels like, right? But I still love yeah. mini. And uh, like a blunt stall is is like, you know, that's my hard flip, except I still haven't done it. And 
I remember being back home in Canada last Christmas and one of my good buddies I've been skating with for 20 years, you know, since we were kids, he's, he's landing them now consistently. And it's just like, it's that much more of a reason that I like, at some point I really need to land a blunt before I die, you know? Yeah. You know, that's one other interesting lesson from skateboarding is that when I grew up skateboarding, I didn't have many, even though I grew up in Southern California where all the pros are and all the people come from in skateboarding, I didn't have many people who were really good at skateboarding to skate with. So Mm. mostly I skateboarded by myself and I always thought, man, if I could just skate with better people who would really push me, I know I could get a lot better. And I still believe that would have been the case. I think if I had had a crew of five or 10 guys that I hung out with who were really good and really pushed me, I think I would have gotten a lot better. And I did have a few of those people, but just not that many. And I've seen that in skateboarding where the people you surround yourself with push you and they make hard things seem easy or they make hard things seem normal. And that really helps you progress as a skater. And it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. If you do it in a vacuum all by yourself, it can be really tough and hard. But if you surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, all of a sudden the stuff that seems hard just seems easy. And then you can turn to people and you're like, how do I do this? And they're like, Oh, you do this, this, this. And then it works. And you're like, Oh, great. That can save you years, literally, on building your business. But if you try to go to loan, which I did for a number of years as an entrepreneur, it's just, it can be such a struggle and it can be so slow to get that feedback and the input that helps you build your business. So there's one more metaphor or analogy or comparison to draw between skateboarding and entrepreneurship. I love it, though. Um, it's kind of that osmosis thing. Um, you know, I've been reading a bunch of willpower books lately, and they talk about the windshield effect. And, you know, I think I remember, so one of my mentors, we, we worked and owned businesses together for a dozen years, John Verhessen. He, he used to talk to me about this idea of, and I know he didn't invent it, but he's the guy who got me to believe it, that, um, it's that I, that, that stat that supposedly if you add up the, if you look at the average income of the five people you spend the most time with, that yours is probably going to end up pretty close to what the average is between those five. And, um, and for me, like he, he, basically showed me these stats about how much television watched uh, has an inverse relationship to income generated. And uh, (laughs) so my wife and I, like we got rid of our TV like 14 years ago and just, you know, we, we rented movies and watched Netflix occasionally, but it's more uh, allowed the time for the audiobook obsession of mine. And uh, I, I look at the people that you got to interview for your book. And, you know, we both talked about, being on audible. I feel like that's one of the strategies that even if you can't get access to your heroes, person to person, so many of the best thinkers you can get access to for, you know, 11 bucks <laughs> for an audible credit, you know, and put them in your ear as you're commuting to work. And, uh, I don't know. Um, it, go ahead. Yeah. Same thing here. I see. Here's one more thing we have in common. We got rid of our TV. Actually, we didn't get rid of our TV. We rented out our home and we left a bunch of our stuff there and our TV got stolen by our renter. But (laughs) then we did it. We, we just were like, well, why should we replace it? We've got too many other things to do. Why would we want to replace this TV? So we've never had a TV since until two days ago, we just moved into a furnished apartment and there's a TV in it. So for the first time in I don't know, 12, 13 years, we have a TV, but it's in China and it's only hooked up to Chinese TV stations. So <laughs> yeah, um, don't get me yeah, wrong. TV is just such a time waster for so many people. 
And what's funny about it, though, is I'm like such a nut about movies. Like my goal is to make a billion dollars and so I can make movies that don't have to be profitable. I can just make my own Jason Bourne movies, you know. Um, but uh, I feel like the only way to be able to get there is not by sp- spending the time watching the television, you know. Um, I, I will say, though, this concept of, of skating with the right people or, or doing these things with folks who can push you, right, who've been there, done that. Um, this this idea of like the windshield concept i mean you look at how many especially men end up in a similar job to their dads you know how many dentists do you know whose dad was a dentist or cops whose dad was a cop right um or you look at even hollywood i mean how many of like james franco and dave franco's are there <laughs> you know where one sibling makes it and then the other sibling ends up like if you look at the statistics it is so inconceivable that two kids from the same family make it to like that level of stardom, right? From a statistical standpoint. But when they see how their sibling did it and they've got the help from the sibling, I mean, it happens way more than it should statistically. Um, so I completely endorse your, your idea of like hanging out with the entrepreneurs that have the results you're looking to get so they can, you know, grab you by the suspenders and pull you up to the next level. Yeah, and it, I think it's, it's also it's that feedback and getting that information and seeing how somebody does it. So getting that really tactical information about how you do something, I think there's a lot to be said there. I think a, another big factor in hanging out with the right people is just the self-confidence side of things. If you see a bunch of people do something and you know those people, you start thinking, well, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. And then you go and you try and then you realize, oh, it's not that hard. And so, yeah, you do it. You accomplish it. And I think so many people in life are held back simply because they don't try because they think it's really hard. And so they never try. So of course they never succeed because you never succeed at anything you fail to try to do. And that's, that's why I started my business. I was working for Josh James and John Pistan at mycomputer.com, which turned into Omniture, which got bought out by Adobe for 1.8 billion. Yeah. So I was with Omniture when they got started. They used to be called mycomputer.com. And so I'm sitting there in their office. I'm employee number 22. I'm sitting there with Josh James and John Pistana and seeing them grow this company, seeing them meet with venture capitalists. And I kept thinking every day, I'm like, I can do this. These guys aren't geniuses. I mean, they're smart guys. They're great guys. They're hustlers, but I can do all this stuff that they're doing. So why am I sitting here making 13 bucks an hour as a web designer when I could be running my own business and doing what they're doing and working for them gave me that confidence to say, Hey, I can go start a business. I can do this. But if I hadn't been hanging around guys who were starting a business, I never would have had the confidence. I would have gone to work for Microsoft or Apple or Intel or something like that. And I wouldn't have started a business. So just that self-confidence is so huge and giving you the motivation and giving you the ability to go out and start something and be successful at it, I think. And that's part of why I try to hang around successful people is just so that I can look at them and say, Hey, I can do that. Yeah. It's a, I don't know. It's funny. I feel like as we talk about it, like it's even more powerful than what we're saying, but I don't know any better words to convince people to like try and spend more time with those kind of people. Um, you know, shifting gears here, we always like to ask people for advice for our charity, Child Rescue, trying to prevent child sex trafficking. We, you know, we've got these um, prevention chapters at high schools and colleges, working 
aftercare facilities like the one we just helped fund uh, the expansion of in Cusco, Peru. Um, the law enforcement assistance, you know, one of the things that we're looking to do is try and shine a spotlight on the cops that are already doing a good job here in America, even though we need a lot more help. There are some officers that are doing exceptional jobs and not everybody's realizing it. Um, if you were going to give us advice of, you know, how do we attract the kind of funding to pay for a TV show to, or a web series, you know, to go film these cops and, and A, have it, all of America find out it's happening to American kids, but B, inspire a whole generation of officers of, I want to be the kind of cop that saves kids. Um, what, what kind of advice would you have for us if that was our quest? Yeah, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, through email, this uh, child trafficking type stuff. And I have a relative, Michelle Guyman, who's really involved with this stuff um, in uh, Los Angeles. And so this is something I've thought about. And it's just, I mean, obviously, this is such a terrible thing for these people to go through, these children. I mean, the most innocent people among us. And it's, anyway. Um, but when it comes to making social change and uh, giving people an incentive to support something like this, to be involved with something like this, we often feel like it's bad or it's wrong for money to be part of it or for there to be a profit incentive. But the way I look at it is if you can introduce, if you can appeal to people's financial self-interest through something like this, then I think that's a great way to affect social change. I have a friend in Hong Kong who started a business and he's helping uh, people in Hong Kong, a disadvantaged pop part of the population, he's helping them, but he's making a profit doing it. And his express purpose is to make a profit so that other actors in the industry who are doing it the wrong way will see that if you do it the right way, you actually make more money because he wants to change the entire industry, not just be a competitor. He wants to change all his competitors too. And I love that he's using profit to affect social change in a good way. And so I look at this and I say, well, how do you raise funds for this? Or how do you get people to get involved in this TV show or making a movie or something like that? And mm -hmm. I say, how do we appeal to their financial self-interest? How do we make it so that this is something that even if they didn't care about the issue at all, they would want to do it just for the money? Mm -hmm. Because then what I think you play into is you say, you get people, because if, if you get people to look at just the, the cause side of it, what they say is, wow, this is a great thing. This is really important. This is really good. But yeah, I'll, I'll write out a check for a thousand bucks or something, but that's all I have time to do because I have to worry about my income and my livelihood and what I'm doing for a living. But if you can say, hey, here's a way to make a difference and to make money at this, to make a profit, and you're doing good at the same time, then people start saying, well, hey, maybe I could do this as a business or maybe I could do this for a living. And then you get a whole different level of commitment and action from people. And so I'd love to look at this and say, how can you use capitalism and profit and entrepreneurship and that startup ethos of, hey, I'm going to do something to change the world, but also make a living at the same time? How can you bring that into this so that people are looking at it, not just from the standpoint of, oh, this is a charitable thing that I can... I can do something and it's going to be a good thing, but how can I turn this into a business and make money and do something good at the same time and not have to feel guilty about it? Those are the opportunities I'd be looking for. Yeah, I love it. I'm totally, I totally want to have that conversation offline. So let's, let's find a time <laughs> to pick your brain on that. 
Um, uh, so we, we've talked a bunch about books. Obviously, um, I think people should be hopping on Amazon and getting uh, Chief Marketing Officers at Work by you. Um, what are some of the other books that you feel like had a big effect on you as an entrepreneur or an innovator? Oh, man, how many hours do we have for this? Uh, <laughs> Give me a few a good ones. Yeah. I'll just tell you real quick in my company, I give out books. That's my thing is everybody is sick of me buying books for them. I've got a list. I keep in a spreadsheet of who I've given what book in our company so that I don't have to continually ask them. Oh, have I given you this book? Have you read this yet? (laughs) I just keep a spreadsheet of everything I've given everybody. And that spreadsheet has over a hundred books on it now that I feel like are must reads for everybody in the company. So I go to people when they're hired on, I'm like, here's a list of hundred books that you need to read. And I think I'm just overwhelming people with that, but those are only the good ones. And I haven't given them all the books I read. That's those are just the must reads, but some of my favorite books recently that I've read, uh, one is thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. He's a social behaviorist, psychologist, mm-hmm. economist guy. He's, he's come up with so many things that we all have heard of in terms of psychology, like you may not have heard of his name. You may not know who he is, but if you read the book, you'll be like, Oh wow, he came up with this. And then you'll realize how many things he's come up with different ideas and studies he's performed. Things like if you give somebody a price, if you say, Hey, this costs $200, but then you drop down and say, okay, I'll give it to you for one fifty. People are more likely to buy than if you say, Oh, this is a hundred dollars, but then you try to increase the price to one fifty or something like that. I mean, Little psychology, things like that. He did all these studies to prove what works, what doesn't work, how the human mind works. And it's just an amazing book for marketers or entrepreneurs or anybody. Uh, But that's one of my favorite ones. Another one is uh, Creativity Inc. by, um, oh, let's see who wrote that one. Oh, Ed Catmull, another Utah guy. So Creativity Inc. is all about the founding of Pixar. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about Steve Jobs because we've all heard that Steve Jobs was a jerk and he was mean to people. And that's how he got things done. And Ed really knew Steve quite well. And he gives a completely different picture of Steve Jobs that I really appreciated. I felt like it made Steve Jobs more human and less of this mythic figure. And it's also just a great book for anybody who's involved in startups because we don't, most people don't know that Pixar almost went out of business, that mm-hmm. close to the end of their first movie, Toy Story, they actually lost the movie and lost all the files and they had to go and they found <laughs> the files on an employee's laptop at the employee's home and they wrapped up that laptop in pillows and drove slowly back to the office with it. I mean, there's just these great stories about hustling and getting stuff done. And then one book that I just read recently that just came out is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Ryan Holiday, which is just a great book about pride and how pride is the downfall. When you think you know everything, then you can't learn anything. And that just kills you as an entrepreneur because there's so much that you have to learn and experiment with. And if you think you already know everything, then it will just stop your business in its tracks. So those are some of my recent favorites. Yeah. So how much do I love Creativity, Inc.? One of my mentors, Larry Gilbert, gave me that book and uh, I had given him, you know, same, same as you, I'm always giving up books. And so he decided to return the favor and that's what he gave me. And uh, I I'm in love with that book. You know um, it's interesting though, this uh, Ryan holiday book you bring up, I feel like um, 
it's interesting to me because he's such a young guy and I think he's so good. I, I mean, I like all his books. Um, Growth Hacker, Obstacle is the Way. Um, I'm actually really stoked he agreed to be on the show. He, uh, he's got a new book coming out in the fall um, called The Daily Stoic. And uh, he's, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd for some of the Stoic stuff, especially like James Stockdale, his like writings on how he used Stoic philosophy to get through the prisoner war camp he was in in um, Vietnam. And uh, I'm, I'm so interested in Ryan Holiday because as a young guy, I think I expect more of uh, like business ideas that are a little more between the goalposts of, of what's coming out in the business literature world right now. And him coming out with this, like, you are your own biggest problem, <laughs> the book. That's that's how I sum up that book. He goes the enemy. Like, yep. that is not that is not popular pop psychology. That is not, uh, hi, here's my thought. Here's an anecdotal story to prove it. Please believe it. Uh, now on to chapter two. Like, he he's like, he names names. He calls himself out. Um, anyways, super impressed with that book. So I think that's- yeah, I love it. I think it's a it's a great book, and uh, yeah, I mean it's yeah, pride is the uh, business killer, and too many. I years ago I had a mentor who was a venture capitalist, and I he was telling me you know it's a different type of entrepreneur who starts a business and then grows it to midsize and then turns it into an enterprise. He said these are different people who do this, and this is why so many entrepreneurs who start a business get fired by the VCs and get replaced. And I said, what's the one factor? Like, why can't one person do it all? Why can't one person start a company and then grow it all the way to a large enterprise? What's what keeps them from being able to do this? And he said, it's pride. It's arrogance. It's because they already think they know they've succeeded at one level. So they think they know everything and they think nobody can tell them how to do it the right way. Mm. And that's why they fail. And that's why they get fired. And so I always, that stuck in my head and I thought, all right, like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be teachable. And so I've always looked at my business and told myself, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to run this business the right way. You always have something to learn. There's always a better way to do it. And that's part of why I read so much. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm always reading articles and I'm always talking to people and asking questions because I say, you know, I've learned so much from this business and I do know so much about running this business. But at the same time, what I know is a, is 1% of what I could know. 99% remains to be learned. And so I'm open to any information from any source that's going to help me. And I just, so I loved ego as the enemy because it just reinforced my thoughts about how I need to keep that ego in check and never get cocky. I love it. Um, you know, I, I feel like we should like have part three and part four and part five of this. Uh, <laughs> so too we're, much fun here. we're probably going to have to have you like be one of the repeat guests here. Um, before we go though, I want to, I want to plug MWI.com. I mean, there's no SEO, you know, conversion, digital marketing. These are obviously huge industries today and there aren't that many people who have been in it since 99. Um, if you were going to talk about, what do you feel like, I mean, I'm sure you're good at a lot of things, but if you were going to say maybe something that MWI has an, an outsized capability in, what do you feel like people should be hiring MWI for? Yeah, what I like to say, and I ripped this off from Rackspace, the web hosting company, which is we are not a digital marketing agency. We are a customer service company that happens to do digital marketing. 
we really care about our clients. We care about their business. Every company makes mistakes. Every company has something to learn. There's no company out there that knows everything and can just come to you and say, oh, we've got the formula to make your business grow. And no matter what happens, we're going to get these results. Nobody can absolutely guarantee the results. What we can guarantee is that we are going to keep carrying. And if something goes wrong, if we see an opportunity that we can take advantage of, we are looking at our client's business from the standpoint of the client saying, hey, what would I do if I were the entrepreneur running this business and I had all this experience with digital marketing? What would I do for my own business? We get inside our client's business and we, we apply that to what they're doing. And so when things get tough or there's a challenge, we figure it out. We don't just throw up our hands and say, well, we put in our 10 hours this month or our 20 hours this month. So we've delivered. We look at it and say, no, this, if this company is not generating revenue, if they're not growing because of what we're doing, then we're failing and we don't like to fail. That's not optional. So what can we do to get inside this business and make things better? What can we do to improve things? And so I think when some other companies might give up, we just keep on pushing and we keep working to figure it out. And that's the MWI difference. Well, you're obviously good enough at it to get Sony and Symantec and LG and these huge clients. So uh, I like your humility, but it's obviously working. Um, listen, uh, in closing here, you've been through a lot of ups and downs. Um, you've, you've been able to achieve a level of distribution on your messaging that a lot of people w would like to achieve. What would be kind of your, your closing comment here of, uh, if you're talking to entrepreneurs and innovators in general, what's what's kind of a, a closing piece of advice you'd want to leave people with? Going back to the influencer stuff that I'm working to help people get out and do, uh, there are a lot of businesses out there that can't figure out what's wrong, why they're not getting more leads, why they're not growing, why they're not successful. And there are different things you can do. You can join groups. You can be part of a mastermind. You can buy courses. You can join communities that give you advice. And those are all great things. For me, I learn by writing. So when I don't know something, I go write about it. And then I become an expert on it by doing the research and by writing about it and by knowing that, hey, I'm going to put out this article. And if I don't do it right, then people are going to make fun of me and they're going to laugh at me. So I better do my research. That forces me to think about it, to do the research and do the reading and become an expert on that topic. So that's one way that I've used to learn more and to become successful in my business. And I really enjoy that process because also once the writing is done, then I put it out there and then I get feedback. And if I'm wrong about something, people tell me, you know, nobody's embarrassed to criticize online. And so I get pretty honest and frank feedback on the posts that I put out there. And if I get something wrong, people will call that out. And I love getting that feedback. And so for any entrepreneur that has the slightest inclination to write or speak, you know, do a podcast, put out videos, put out blog posts, get them out on LinkedIn polls or Medium or any which way you can, not just for the sake of marketing, but also for the sake of getting feedback from potential clients, from potential partners, because that feedback becomes so valuable. And it's great to get that online where people are not embarrassed and they won't hold back. I love it. Well, uh, appreciate you making time and dealing with the, the time zone difference from Hong Kong and, uh, and sharing your experience with us here. 
Thank you so much, Jess. It's been my pleasure. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.